Welcome to the new Cat Chat, brought to you by Dr. Elsie's, privately owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian whose personal mission is to formulate litters that keep cats using the litter box, which keeps them in their loving homes. I'm Tracy Hotchner, the author of The Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. My mission is to entertain, educate, and inspire cat lovers like you to give their kitty cats the best possible life in nutrition, affection, and environmental enrichment by interviewing cat authors and experts, some old favorites, some new conversations. Dr. Elsie is also the founding and continuing sponsor of my Cat Film Festival, short films from around the world that celebrate the kitty cat, which will be back in theaters as soon as they reopen. Meantime, thanks to Dr. Elsie's, you can now see streaming versions of the Cat Film Festival for free on Amazon Prime and Tubi TV. This show is also brought to you by Meet Me, where they make organic, humane, raw frozen foods and dehydrated treats on their own rural farm in Virginia. The turkey, chicken, rabbit, and beef are certified organic and humanely raised and processed right on their property. So they control safety and health for animals on their farm and at your home, which is why they say, from farm to bowl. Boy, am I glad to find a cat specialist, a cat behavior specialist. I have been looking for a woman like Dr. Michael Delgado. She is really the person to go to because she's been studying it. She's had a lot of research that she's been doing at UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine on social behavior of domestic cats as well as how little orphan neonatal kitties develop. But she has a she's a co-founder of Feline Minds, a cat training and consulting business. And I wanted to talk in the Bay Area, so not the East Coast. She also co-authored with my old pal Jackson Galaxy the book Total Cat Mojo, a lovable book. She's a certified applied animal behaviorist. That's like a real thing, not something calls themselves that. <laughs> a certified cat behavior consultant and an affiliate member of the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior. Michael, it's so great to meet you. I should have met you years ago. You really do understand what makes cats tick, and you help people understand it too. I'm interested in the fact that people, people like yourself, academics, researchers, big minds, high IQs, are studying cats' sociability, whether they're as social as dogs, are they social at all? What's happened that there's suddenly a focus on this? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think there's a few things that really kind of delayed our looking at these questions in cats. And I think one of them is just this assumption that people made for decades and decades is just that cats are antisocial. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't recognize their social lives with other cats, and we certainly downplayed the value of humans' relationships with them to them. I mean, of course, those of us who love cats understand the importance of the, the cat-human relationship on our end of things, but I think there's a few things that have maybe led cats to be considered maybe more mysterious, hard to read. Um, we don't necessarily recognize their emotion or attachment to us because it doesn't necessarily look like that of other humans or the dog-human relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, and <laughs> so we devalue. So, in a sense, we devalue it. If the cat is trying to communicate with us, is trying to give us feedback or get feedback from us, we're not reading it right. We're seeing that cat is disinterested, aloof, antisocial, doesn't really like me. When the cat is using his or her skills to try to connect, and I guess, like with any living thing, if you ignore them they feel ignored and they stop trying. Does that happen with cats? 
I think it can. I mean, it's interesting because one of the things that we often tell people is um, when if you're too pushy with cats, you will actually have the opposite effect of what you intend, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, we know from research uh, many years ago by Dennis Turner that cats actually appreciate a little, being us being a little bit hands-off. Like, if you allow a cat to approach you, the interaction is more likely to be longer and more positive than if you approach them. Mm-hmm. And so that's where people, I think, don't always maybe understand why a cat is a little bit put off by them. And I think the other thing is just they don't they don't have the same number of facial muscles as certainly as we do or dogs, right? So the co-evolution of human and dogs has been a much longer process. And during that process, we've selected dogs for certain characteristics that remind us of us, like raising of the eyebrows and the doggy smile. And right. cats don't have those expressions. And so people look at cats and they see this blank just nothing. And right. They don't know how to read them. So they're like, are you, do you hate me? Do you love me? What are you thinking right now? And people really have a hard time translating their cat and they don't recognize subtle behaviors that cats use to show love, like the slow blinking, which yes. um, you know, recent research supported that the slow blink is a real thing um, and that cats slow blink when they're relaxed. And it's um, so I think if, if you, you know, if you are not paying attention you may just not even notice that your cat is giving you these signals that they feel close to you and feel comfortable with you. Sort of sad because we also don't know when they don't feel well. And people don't understand their cat is in some sort of pain or physical discomfort when he's in a a, a kind of a tucked up what they call the bread loaf shape. And people that have lived around cats forever may never have been told that either. They think, well, that's how cats do. They just sort of park or perch or or do the statue thing on the back of a couch cats actually not well so the poor thing is not feeling well and we didn't tell them i mean we normalize a a lot of stress behaviors in cats i mean the term frady cat just implies that being fearful is normal and it doesn't necessarily lead us to recognize that a cat may be stressed out so, so, yeah, there's, there's still a long ways to go in understanding cats and bringing that understanding to a larger pet-loving community. And with any luck, it means we will be better guardians to them and better cohabitators of the planet, particularly TNR cats who are part of a colony, but they're not necessarily fully feral. They might be happy to have some interaction. If, if you lived in a city and wanted to have a cat and don't have a cat, there's colonies that are being looked after by people of of cats that have been trapped, neutered, and returned. And in the way that you say, if you were to sit beside them and hang out with them and let them come to you, I mean, isn't it funny how in social situations people say, I really don't like cats, but there I was sitting on the couch and this cat wouldn't leave me alone. Well, it's because you weren't (laughs) bothering the cat. You were the person who weren't actively going, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Just leave it's the always ca- the people with allergies. <laughs> yes, of course. Poor things. We feel really bad for them. So t- tell you've done research on the social behavior of domestic cats. Tell me a little about. There was a New York Times article that I'll link to just because for we lay people sometimes these 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 topics and stories get uh, described in a way that's it's more accessible to us. That cats like people. Some people, anyway, despite apparent aloofness, cats are social creatures capable of relationships with people. A new study suggests that one of your colleagues at Maui's has been doing this study. And to people who love cats, it's like, duh, of course they have relationships with people. But to the outside world, it, it, they're often depicted as 
oh, they're just sort of there and only rubbing themselves against your leg when they're hungry. They're just opportunistic. <laughs> they're just using us. So what have you found in your research? And, and talk a little, if you want to, about your colleagues, uh, Kristen Vitale's research. How, what is that? Wh who funded that? Who says, we'll give you gals some money to look at this in a really scientific way? Well, I will say funding for cat research is definitely challenging to come by. Because, I bet. Because, um, you know, one, it's not always taken seriously. And, and you know, so you, you do have to sometimes um, look for alternative sources, like, you know, organizations that do fund animal-related research. Um, I know Dr. Vitale, some of her research was actually funded by the National Science Foundation, which nice. is like, very impressive. Um, and I did want to touch on something you brought up about the feral colonies or the TNR colonies, which is just that sociality in cats is a spectrum. It's not an either they're social or they're feral. Um, right. It really is a spectrum. And mm -hmm. so it's really important to, to recognize that one cat's sociality might be very different from a different cat's sociality. And if you've lived with several cats, you know that. Some cats love to be on you, on your chest, in your face, and other cats like to maybe sit next to you on the couch but will never get in your lap. Mm -hmm. And other cats like to just be in the same room as you and, you know, be near you but not too near. <laughs> right. So, um, but, you know, I think what um, what some of my research has been has been looking at over the years is really about um, how certain human characteristics are related to their attachment to their cats. Um, my research at UC Davis was has been more focused on neonatal kittens and also interactions between cats. But, um, you know, Kristen or Dr. Vitale has done a lot of really great work looking at the cat-human relationship and, you know, finding that when... Um, Offered, for example, one of her studies was looking at different types of interactions with cats, and cats did tend to prefer interactions with a human over just um, interacting with a toy or food. So there was definitely, for most cats, they were curious about humans, wanted to be near them, and she also did some research looking at kind of the distress behaviors of cats when they were separated from, from their humans. Oh, that's um, so, interesting. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of times um, this type of research is based on studies of, of adult humans with their children, right? And so what happens right. when an adult leaves their kid with a stranger? Yes. And it's typical for a child to initially show a little bit of distress, but you don't want to show too much, right? Like too much distress is not good because, um, you know, just like with our pets, we want our children to be socialized with, with other people. Um, and there's also, you know, what happens when the parent comes back? Is the child right. happy to see their parent mm -hmm. or they just like whatever? And so this is, you know, what we call attachment. Um, and that was a very, like, I'd say, um, oversimplified explanation of attachment. But it's basically, um, you know, what happens when we're separated from a caregiver? What happens when we're, re we're reunited with that caregiver? And so there's been studies, lots of studies of humans, um, some studies in dogs, and dogs do tend to act similarly to humans um, in that they are briefly distressed when their um, owner leaves and then they're happy when they come back. Um, and what Kristen's um, research demonstrated was that cats do show some of those same patterns and that there are different styles. So some cats were more upset than others when their caregiver disappeared and were more excited when the caregiver came back and some cats were more social with the stranger that they were interacting with and and again this just tells us that there are different patterns of social behavior and again it's a spectrum and not just an either or 
It's funny, the word spectrum has now kind of come into common usage around the word autism, right? So you have the autism spectrum in a kind of negative, if you will, way. But suddenly, and that's a fairly new realization in humans, the idea that there's a spectrum of people's ability to attach or communicate with, make eye contact, have physical contact. And it's interesting that that same word is in use in understanding animals' attachment to us, obviously meant differently, but that, mm-hmm. but it really does show the individuality of cats. They're, and I suppose when you do those studies, it, it's a little difficult to do like a double-blind, really controlled, right. super scientific <laughs> one, because how do you judge what the attachment was going in? If you sure. have the person like you and me, who, we work at home. So our animals are with us all the time. So being separated from us to, to animal A might be awful because they're so used to us being there. Animal B, it's like, bye, because I feel so confident because you're always with me, as opposed to people who were gone from their house eight, ten hours a day. Seriously, how upset could that cat be because he's had to learn to be without that person most of the time because the rest of the time yeah. the person's sleeping, right? So it's, yeah, it's I- not easy to judge, I would guess. No, and I think, I mean, this is a very relevant issue right now because of, you know, the past year, a lot of us have been home more yep. due to the pandemic. Um, and, of course, everyone's concerned about what's going to happen with my pets when I return to the workforce or my previous lifestyle where I wasn't home all the time. And so these are, you know, big questions that certainly those of us working in the pet community, whether we're behavior consulting or researchers, are at work you know, pet guardians are going to be really thinking about um, our relationship with our pets because it's really been impacted by the pandemic. And I think for most of us, we would say in a positive way because we've really enjoyed the additional time with our with our pets and um, having the ability to bond with them and spend more time with them. But from the pet's perspective, um, we know routine is especially important to cats. They yes. get very stressed out when their routine has changed. Mm-hmm. And so the transition back to, um, you know, more time out of the house is, is, is something I'm keeping my eye on for sure. Um, because, because you think there may be other acting out behavior that the cat will express their discomfort, their displeasure, their stress, their anxiety in the ways that cats do. I mean, dogs can eliminate in the house or scratch or destroy property and cats can eliminate in the house, scratch and change their personality or appear to change it, right? When they when they when they are feeling these negative feelings, uh, to, I just I use the word negative because we don't know exactly what we can't really quantify stress, tension, sure. anxiety, fear, particularly when something's taken away from a cat that a cat likes. I saw someone sent me a, a funny cartoon, you know, that showed COVID and the dog's happy as a clam and the cat, <laughs> the balloon over the cat is, is she never going to leave? You know, because that's our idea is that the cat wants that that solitude. But honestly, it's healthy for any creature. People who want their dog to be, and this is a sub-sub-subset of humans, super attached and show incredible anguish at separation and not really want to be separated themselves from the dog. And then, you know, thrilled by the overjoyed, over-the-top re-greeting. We don't expect that of cats, which is kind of healthier. I don't. Th- I think the overattachment is something that we are somehow use as some kind of a yardstick with dogs. Oh, that dog really loves me. Loves me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sign, yeah, we take it as a sign of love and not 
you know, with any um, competing animal, but I do emphasize this a lot with, with cat owners I work with, is just, um, you want your cat to have a life. Yes, you know, that doesn't yes. just revolve around you. You exactly. want them to have toys to play with, um, food puzzles to interact with, a bird feeder to watch, window perches. You want yes. them to have all the things they need so that when they come to you, it's like it's kind of part of a healthy relationship. Um, the other thing that I, I observe a lot is that when a cat is friendly and, um, you know, or described as friendly or people feel like, oh, my cat really loves me, is that right. they're always describing their cat as dog-like. I know. And we don't recognize that these are traits that cats have. And so much, you know, is, is not just... Um, I mean, a lot of it is what happens in the early formative period, which for cats, their socialization um, sensitive period is between two and nine weeks of age. So that's really ideally the time that they get a lot of exposure to people and positive interactions um, with humans so that they learn to be social. Yes. Um, but then also what we bring to the table that's is important. Right. So things like playing with your cat with toys. If your cat's not particularly cuddly, um, then you might find clicker training or interactive play is a great way to bond with them and actually does make them more bonded to you. I mean, every cat needs those things too. That's but, right. Um, you know, it, it is like... They it's a learning. That. It's yeah. definitely, it's a learning curve for the human. So the question, just in sort of wrapping up, you know, despite apparent aloofness, cats are social creatures. Yeah, they always were. We're the ones who have to become educated and sensitive and smart about what's going on because like any relationship, there's two people in it or two creatures in it. And, you know, it's sort of you sow what you reap and what you put in is what you get out, but it's different with each individual, whether it's human or animal. I really appreciate the work you're doing, Michael. And I know you're going over to the dog side a little bit with your work, so I'll be interested to learn more about that in time. But the cat people really need you. Feline Minds is the name of your training and consulting uh, company in the Bay Area, but you do work with people virtually, even without COVID. So thank you for doing that for all the cat owners out there who really need all the support and guidance they can get. Really appreciate your work. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to Cat Chat. I hope this conversation has deepened your understanding and appreciation of cats everywhere. It's been brought to you by Dr. Elsie's, which created their own clean protein foods inspired by the protein levels found in a cat's natural prey. I recommend that wet food should always be your cat's primary diet, but clean protein also comes as a dry food, the first one I would recommend if you want to feed dry even as part of your cat's diet. This show is also supported by cat water, specially formulated to appeal to cats, chlorine-free, ozonated, and lightly acidic, to encourage them to drink more to promote urinary tract health and the ideal pH.